0: Recall what the Holy Spirit has been teaching us through His Word. And then we will pick up with our text this morning and continue. We're going to be speaking on temptation this morning. Speaking on on this very subject, temptation, finding the way out. And so let's read this morning our text and let's let the Holy Spirit of God teach us as we read from verse number 11. The Bible says, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able." But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Father, once again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, I need your help now as we look at the word of God. God, I want to be a help to your people. But God, more than being desiring to be a help to your people, I want to just simply teach the Word of God as you teach, and I want to preach the Word of God as you give. And God, I pray that you would use your Word in a mighty and a powerful way. God, empower your Word, and I pray that you would help someone this morning. I pray that those who are dealing with temptation, maybe at this very moment, maybe a temptation to look away, maybe a temptation to just continue carrying on. I pray that you would help them even right now to fight that temptation, allow the word of God to speak to their hearts for these next few minutes. God, I pray that you would help us to recall these things as we will be tempted in just a few moments. We will be tempted later today. We will be tempted tomorrow. And God, we need to know how to escape that temptation. And I pray that your word will teach us this morning, will help us this morning, and will become a solid, powerful force in our heart and life that truly will help us to find the way of escape, to find our way out of temptation. Help us now, Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to you completely and utterly. Guide my thoughts. God, I don't want to teach my words I want to teach what your word has to say. Bless it, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. There are two amazing verses or words in verse number 11. Just listen to these for a moment. The Bible tells us that God has given these things for an ensample. That word ensample there means a warning by stamp or scar. It actually means to like imprint or to put up a warning sign. We have here a warning sign. This has been stamped. This has been given for caution, for helping us to know that there could be some wet floor or there could be something damp that could cause us to do what? to be instructed or admonished, the Bible says there in verse number 11. It, it gives not only an ensample, a warning, a stamped warning, but it also gives instruction on what to do. What is that instruction? To watch carefully where you're stepping. What, uh, we, re- we got those signs, oh, just a couple of years or so ago, some additional signs. We had some, but we got some fresh signs and such. And as we did, we put those out shortly after cleaning up something on the floor. And I forget exactly what it was, but something had spilled here on the property. And uh, just a few of us here, and we had put this sign up. And as we put this sign up, if I remember correctly, Nathan was coming through, and we said, be careful, there's some wet floor. And no sooner had we said that than all of a sudden, we saw Nathan starting to slide and to skate a time and suddenly kaboom there he goes flat on the floor what 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 happened there was a caution that wasn't fully heeded, was it it was something that was dismissed or not paid attention to fully you know so many times god gives us warnings in his word paul here was giving warning to the church in corinth The church in Corinth was a church that had a lot of warnings that God was displaying among their attitude, among how they had been acting. This church was a young church, and praise God for that. Praise God that these were young Christians, uh, many young Christians coming together. And as young babes in Christ and children of God, They were learning how to navigate the Christian life, and they were doing so with great cumbersome. They were full of division. They were following certain men. Some said, I am of Paul. Some said, I am of Apollo. Some said, I am of Cephas or Peter. And there were contentions saying, you know what, I follow what Paul said, or I follow what Peter said, and Paul rectifies that and says, hey, we're all preaching the same gospel. We're trying to help you together. It's not a competition. We're as a team working together to help us to grow in grace. There was strife in the church and sin, immorality, and there was a lot of issues that were going on with this young church. And as Paul was helping them to navigate the Christian life, he began to show them and teach them and bring attention to the caution that God had put out for them. In doing so, he reminded them of some areas in which a Christian can easily backslide and a progress or a slipping away or a sliding away that can happen if one does not pay attention to the caution sign God puts up to warn us of danger that lies ahead. Let us recall our minds to earlier in the chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice what the Bible tells us in verse number 1. The Bible tells us, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. How that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did, all, uh, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. What is this referring to? We're not going to go back and reteach this, but this is speaking of the time in which God had provided them manna, God had provided them bread, God had provided them sustenance, and they grew to have a distaste for the manna that God had provided. You know, the Bible teaches us that the word of God is called our spiritual meat. It's our spiritual bread. It's our sustenance. And the Bible warns us of a distaste for the word of God and beginning to crave what the world is teaching, what the world is offering to us. And we need to be cautious of that because if we grow distasteful of the word of God, We come to a point in which the word of God is just not as good to us as it once was. Other things are more important. Other things are more valuable to us than the word of God. God warns us that this is a way in which we can slip away, backslide, not lose our relationship with God. We can never do so, but definitely can come to a point in which we walk away hurting the name of christ paul warns us of a distaste for the word of god he continues in verse number seven notice what he says neither be uh, be idolaters as some of them uh, as were some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play The Bible teaches us that because of their distaste for what God had provided, for the bread that God had provided them, they began to replace Christ with a worldly system, a worldly religion. It became an idolatrous time, a time in which things were more valuable to them than God himself. God warns us of this over and over and over again in His Word. This isn't in, in my notes, but I was reading this this very morning. And as I was reading this, I, I just want to point this out. Psalms 106 uh, is where I was reading. Just give me a moment to find it here. Um, Psalms 106, verse number 39. The Bible says, Thus were they defiled, with their own works. He's speaking of an idolatry. God says they were defiled with their own works. Notice in verse uh, verse number 39 of Psalm 106, and went abhorring with their own inventions. You know, sometimes we look at idolatry as bowing down to an idol, but God here indicates that idolatry is something in which we can be Uh, consumed with our own works and even our own inventions. Oh, are we not there today? Do we not have so many today that are carried about with their own inventions? They're carried about with the inventions of man, with what man can do, with what man has put together, whether it's the latest device or whether it's a new TV program or whether it's a uh, new way of doing something or a new home or a new automobile, whatever it might be. But we are so carried away by some things in which God says, be careful, of, don't replace Christ with what he has given he is our savior he wants to be our god the bible tells us that a backsliding away or falling away from a close relationship with god and distancing in our relationship with god begins by a distaste of the bible by replacing christ with a worldly religion or an idolatrous relationship Looking and following after those things; those things aren't wrong unless they be replaced. Christ, the Bible tells us in verse number eight. Notice what it says: Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. The Bible here speaks of, of course, sin, immorality. This sin, of course, can be moral sin, or it can be a spiritual sin but it is truly sin. It is a moment in which one decides to step into an area in which they ought not to go. And the Bible teaches us that as one slips away or slides away in his relationship with God, that when one begins a moment in which things begin to replace Christ, one will end up committing sin that he ought not to commit against God. And it will further cause a chasm between God and their relationship with him. It will never break that relationship. Let me stretch that once again. But it truly causes one to be not where God wants us to be. It will cause our relationship not to be as close as God wants it to be. And it will cause someone to step away and to do things in which God earnestly desires us not to do. And look at this backsliding. Look how much it continues. One begins not to like the Word of God. One begins to replace the Word of God and Christ with other religions or idolatrous behaviors. Goes into sin, and the Bible even continues in verses number 9 and 10. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. The Bible speaks of a skepticism and a form of tempting God, a form of questioning God and beginning to come to a point in which they even question whether God is God. And we're thinking of a child of God, one who has put their faith and trust in Christ, coming to a point in which they said, I don't know if I believe God anymore. How sad that is. But there are Christians today that are at that point. How did they get there? They got there one step at a time. There was a distaste for the word of God. There was a moment in which God became secondary or, yea, even just a tertiary thought, something in which was just on the fringe of their minds, and yet they focused and their hearts was developed upon things in which God was not the center of. And then they came into a point in which sin became enticement, and they followed and went into sin. And then with this sin, they began to justify and began to question and began to use the world's rationale and adopted it as their very own to question whether or not even God exists. How sad that is. And if you're there today, if you're questioning this morning, may I encourage you to come back. Oh, that wonderful, powerful illustration that God gives of the prodigal son, of the son who was away from the father, but the father is well, was op- has his arms open and his heart open wide, saying, would you come back? Would you run back to me? Oh, my friends, you can never lose that relationship with the father. But it is a wonderful thing for us to run back to God and to enjoy that relationship with him. Don't allow Satan to destroy you through temptation. The Bible teaches us in our text this morning of three things about temptation. First of all, he teaches us that the warning is displayed. God puts up the caution sign. He puts up the warning and states, be careful, there's some things you need to avoid look at what the Bible says once again in verse number 11. Now, all these things, what we had just spoken of, happened unto them for in samples, for our admonition. In essence, Paul says, I'm putting out the caution sign. The caution sign is out. Be careful. there's a wet floor, a slide a slipping away. A sliding away can take place. You can backslide from God and get a point in which you are in a position in which God never desires and never uh, never intends. He says, "Be careful. These were given for our warning. They are given for our example. They are written for our admonition, for our instruction. Not only are they there to show the caution, but they are there to say, we need to follow Christ. Think about this for just a moment. We saw this sliding away, but if we were to put the opposite into position, how wonderful and flourishing our walk with the Lord would be. Instead of a distaste for the word of God, what if we fell in love with the word of God and loved every word that it says? Instead of making Christ a tertiary thought or secondary place or even a distant memory, what if we made him the focal point of our heart and life? Instead of allowing uh, Satan to ensnare us into sin, into temptation, what if we said no and we chose to do that which is right? What if instead of skepticism we chose to believe by faith, our wonderful God has everything in control, that nothing is past his control. He is good all the time. He loves us without measure. And he is our savior. And as our savior, he is our father. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And if we enjoy him as that relationship desires and is designed to do, how wonderful could that relationship be? How much our relationship with God can grow God warns us and also gives us instruction of the dangers that lie ahead, but also of how powerful our relationship with him could be. The Bible teaches us in verse number 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. God tells us, that there are times in which our lives, we've all gone to that point, I believe, at many areas in our lives, in which we see a caution sign. God warns us. And we say, you know what? I can handle this. I'll just walk really carefully. I'll be careful in how I walk. I'll be careful in how I step. It'll be okay. I know what the caution says, but does God really know who I am? Doesn't God know I've grown past slipping on the floor? Doesn't God know that I can uh, uh, still carry on and I will be okay? Because after all, I have a steady and a sure footing that I think I stand upon. God warns us to take heed. That we're we're take heed is the Greek word blepo, which means look to it, beware, or watch out. God says when we come to a point in which we look at the cautions and say, you know, that's not really me. I don't need those things. I would never get to the point to where I'd be skeptical against God. I would never get to the point to where the Bible would be something distasteful for me. I'm not there. I won't get there. God says, be careful watch out. He says, look to it. He says, be careful. There is a sure falling if you are not careful in your approach. Was it not Peter himself who made that same self-assurance, that same stand? Was it not Peter himself, the follower of Jesus Christ, who, who had heard the truths that Jesus, his Savior, teach and how he watched Christ as he led by example? Was it not Peter, who as a follower of Christ, saw Jesus when others were away, saw Jesus out in the gardens praying, saw Jesus walking with the Lord, saw Jesus as he gave his life and served others? Peter heard and saw the message and the truth of Jesus Christ. And yet, when it comes to that time when Jesus would be captured in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus warns Peter in Matthew 26. Though all men should, shall be offended because of thee, Peter stating, yet will I never be offended. What was he saying? He says, I got this. I can walk on that. I'm okay, Jesus. Don't worry about me. Others are going to be offended. Yea, the beloved one, John, he can be offended. Others, like uh, others, uh, others in, amongst our mixed could be offended, but I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. I'm not going to fall for that trap. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not not deny thee. What did Peter say? He said, I'm not going to fall. Don't worry about me, Jesus. I've got this. Jesus instructed Peter further in Luke 22, as he stated in verse number 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus stated, Peter, I'm praying for you. I know what's going to take place. I know what you're going to do. Please be heed. Watch out. Take a look to it. Beware. There's caution here. I want to instruct you. I want to help you. Please don't go a direction in which you will regret. Please Be careful. Peter said, don't worry about me. I got this. I can walk on that wet floor. It's not going to hurt me. And yet, within hours of that very conversation, what do we see? We see Peter denying, with swearing, and cursing, and even taking God's name in vain. We see Peter denying God may we be reminded this morning that none of us are above temptation. None of us are. There might be some temptations in your heart and life that entice you more than maybe it entices someone else. But that does not mean that we are above temptation. Temptation is real. And God warns us, look to it, beware, caution. Notice how the Bible teaches us here now in verse number 13. As the Bible teaches us and exposes the temptation. The temptation truly is exposed in this verse and we are seen with instruction here on how we can avoid temptation Notice what the Bible says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I want you to see first and foremost this morning, that temptation as Jesus as God exposes it, he exposes that it is a common temptation. This temptation is common among all, these temptations come against all temptation has three schemes in which lucifer satan and his and his minions uh truly form against us he uses the lust of the flesh that which feels good to us he uses the lust of the world as we look and see everyone else is doing it and then there is that lie of the devil he looks and he will speak to us and that no one will know you can cover this up no one's going to know what you have done these schemes have been powerful and effective and he uses these schemes and he accompanies them with lures of their own the bible teaches us in 1 john chapter 2 verse number 16 for all that is in the world notice this the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world the bible teaches us here that there are three lures that the devil puts on these schemes on these on these lines if we were on these uh, rods as it were if we could use that fishing analogy and as he cast out one of these lines of the flesh of the world or a lie of the devil he will use the lust of the flesh He will use the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and he uses those lures to tempt us, does he not? How many times do we look and say, you know what, but it feels good. Can it be wrong if it feels good? Can it be wrong if this is enjoyable for a moment? Don't I deserve to enjoy life? Everyone else is doing it. All my friends, my community is doing it. If all of my friends, if all of my community and all my neighbors are doing it, is it really that bad? Their lives seem to be pretty good. They've got nice cars. They've got nice homes. They've got some nice things in their home. They seem to be happy. Is it really wrong for me? And Satan will use those things to lure us and to get us to bite onto that temptation, reeling us into sin. You see, Satan does not show favoritism in his temptation schemes. All are tempted. It is common. He trusts his schemes and his lures so much that he used these very things on the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, hoping that God himself would take the bite he would grasp onto one of these lures and he would be caught in sin that is how powerful these lures are these are how powerful these schemes are that he used them against god himself and if he would and if he thought so think so highly and so powerfully enough of them that he would use them on jesus christ he will use them on us but i'm thankful and we ought to be thankful that God unveils or pulls away the blinds that Satan puts before those lures. He unveils the hooks. He unveils that which is about to ensnare us. The Bible teaches us about the wiles of the devil. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of of the devil, the attacks, the lures, the devices of the devil. The Bible tells us that we ought not to be ignorant of his devices in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, lest Satan should get an advantage of of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. God pulls back and says, think about this for just a moment." That as he opens that tackle box, as Lucifer opens that tackle box and casts out that line, that scheme, and has that tempting lure upon it, that it is nothing new. These temptations are old temptations. There is no new temptation. It is common. Satan has no new tricks. Every temptation truly is common to man. And God exposes those things. Why? So we may know how to be careful. There's some wet floor ahead. Be careful. There's some slippery slopes ahead. God knows us, or excuse me, Satan knows us, and he knows what is effective in temptation. He knows what works. Hence, it's why he uses these same schemes over and over again. The same lures over and over again. But I'm thankful that just as God exposes the common temptations to man, that God shows us that these are controlled temptations. Look back at our text in verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Oh, hallelujah for this powerful verse. God says these temptations are common. You will be tempted just like anyone else. These temptations, these lures will be given out to you just like anyone else. But God is faithful. You see, Satan knows us and he knows what works to deceive us. However, we must remember and we must recall in our minds that just like Satan knows us, we have a father that knows us better than Satan. We have a father that is more powerful than Satan. We have a father who is stronger than the temptations of Satan. We must remember that our, uh, the temptation that Satan brings our way, the lures that God allows to be cast into our pond, as it were, or into our lake, as it were, is only a lure that God said yes Yes, you may use that in your tackle box, Satan. Yes, you may use that lure. Why? Because God knows exactly what we can handle, God will not allow us to be tempted above that ye are able. And oh, what a wonderful thing that is, that our God, who knows us better than Satan, he knows our strengths, he knows our weaknesses, and he says, Satan, you can't use that lure in that lake. Satan, you can't use that temptation. You can't use that scheme. I'm not going to allow you to tempt one beyond which they are able, and praise God for our God, who wonderfully enables us the power of escape. Why? Because he knows that with that lure that he has put in our spiritual lake, if we can put it that way, that Satan's lure is something in which we can avoid. We don't have to bite on it. Job, knew exa- uh, Job was a man in which God allowed to be tempted. God knew exactly what Job could handle. The Bible tells us in Job chapter one, and the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? Think about this for just a moment. Satan is speaking to God himself. And as Satan is speaking, God carries up the conversation of the lake of Job. And he says, I'm going to allow some things to be tempted to Job. Notice what God says, that there is none like him in the earth a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. God says, I know the lake of Job. I know the heart of Job. I know what's in it. Satan, you can throw your best lure, but you're not going to get Job. He's not going to bite on that lure. I know him. God allowed Satan to take literally everything from Job to drain his lake dry where there was not much movement for Job and yet he did not bide on the lure of Satan. God knows exactly what we can handle. He knows exactly what we uh, can handle in our lives. And just like Job, he will not allow Satan to tempt above what we could handle. I love this poem of an author. I couldn't find the author, but it's a powerful one. Listen to it tonight, this morning. Not till the looms are silent and the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the fabric and explain the reasons why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. God allows some things, why? To beautify our lives. Because it increases our faith in him when we can say no to Satan. Say no to that lure. Say no to what he is putting out in front of us and finding that way of escape. Thirdly and lastly this morning, I want us to see that the escape is possible. The way out is possible. Satan brings a temptation that's common to everyone. God gives us warning. and God says, I'm not allowed a temptation that you can't handle. Now notice this. He gives an escape. Have you ever looked at some of the infamous escape artist of yesteryear or even today in amazement. We all know the story of men like Harry Houdini. and We look at the incredible things in which he was able to escape from. I watched a couple short clips of the uh, of him this week as he was bound in chairs and uh, bound with ropes and chains and even put in a uh, a suspended upside down and water bound and yet he was able to escape it was incredible he was a man who could escape out of anything it seemed he was an amazing escape artist we look to that and we just look in wonderment sometimes how did he do that There were times where it seemed like he couldn't move anything at all, and yet he found a way out. He found a way to escape. And my friends, if someone can be that imaginative and creative to escape some ropes and chains, ought we not to follow the escape pattern, the escape procedures in which God gives that are more powerful than even Harry Houdini could escape from. Harry Houdini fell prey to temptation. However, thank God we have one who gives a more powerful solution than any escape artist can uh, 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 can imagine and put together. We have a God who makes a way out possible. I love this. Notice what the Bible says in our text in verse number 13. Look at the last phrase of it with me. But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Can I go back all the way to the book of Genesis? And can I recall our minds to that very first temptation? Sometimes we look at that temptation, we think that was unfair. However, God had given Adam and Eve the greatest way to escape if they would have employed it. What was that? Imagine, if you would, in the Garden of Eden, an innocent Eve, coming to a visitor, sitting on the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. She is unconscious of this malice that her visitor before her is displaying she has been unversed in sin she doesn't know what sin is she doesn't know what it's like to disobey god she never has She is blissfully ignorant of the subtlety and the wickedness of Lucifer, Satan, is about to display in the Garden of Eden. She is innocent. She is pure of heart. She is whole. She uh, She is wonderfully, blissfully enjoying her moments there in the Garden of Eden with her husband, Adam. And Satan, that Lucifer, the greatest one of the greatest of all created intelligence. Poised and possessed with great gifts and unsurpassed wisdom was now warped and twisted by sin into diabolical cunning, wanting to hurt Eve and wanting to bring a hurtfulness to God and to the relationship that God and His children, Adam and Eve, enjoyed. But God had given Eve and Adam the way to escape. You see, God had given them the most powerful weapon that Satan shudders before even today. What did he give them? What weapon was it that was so powerful that would have caused Satan to shrink away and to slither away? What would have caused Satan to turn away from that moment of temptation? It was the word of God. You see, God had given Eve and Adam that instruction there. Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the weapon. You see, the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is something that Satan today awes with Fear and trembling—it is something he cannot stand against. It is a sword that he has no weapon against that can prosper. And all Eve had to do was say, "Thus saith the Lord: Thou shalt not eat of the garden, or of, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of the good and, of good and evil." That's all she had to do. That's all she had to state was stay true to the word of God. But what did Satan do? Satan questioned her memory. Satan questioned her mind. Satan questioned the word of God and began to bring in her heart and mind some doubt that really did God say thou shalt not eat. God's hiding something from you if she would have stood true to it and said, thou shalt not eat, I'm not going to go that direction. I'm not going to do that, Lucifer. I'm not going that direction. Why? Because God said, no, she had the weapon that would have resisted the temptation in the garden of Eden. Satan knew this. Satan knew that if she pulled out the word of God and if she held fast to that, she was invulnerable to the temptation. And so Satan began to attack that weapon by not attacking the weapon, but attacking the question of using that weapon. Should you really pick up that sword? It's pretty sharp. It might hurt yourself. Be careful. I think you should leave that be. That's for more skilled warriors. That's for more skilled people. Don't pick up that weapon. Don't pick up the word of God. We know the story. Eve fell prey to that. Why? Because she did not pick up the weapon of the word of God, the sword of the word of God. God has given a way of escape. He's given us his word. It is how we can resist temptation. You see, when our flesh begins to tempt, God says, I have an answer for that. When your flesh desires to do that which feels good or that is pleasurable for a reason or for a season, he says, I have an answer for that, uh, for that temptation. What is that answer the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 6, or 16, excuse me, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that that you would, when flesh begins to tempt, God says the solution, the sword in which you can pick up is the word of God, yielding to what? The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that can help us resist the temptation of the flesh because they are contrary one to another. And when we yield our spirit to the Holy Spirit of God, he helps us to resist those fleshly temptations that come to us. When the world begins to tempt, when the world begins to show of all the things in which they do and which all the things in which seemingly they get away with, with no consequence and even prosper in it, God says, I have a solution for that. In 1 John chapter 2, God gives us that solution. In verse number 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, notice this, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. God says, When temptation from the world comes, God says there's a solution and that is coming to the Father. It is coming to the one who loves us and cares for us and knows what is best for us. When the world says God has deprived you, we can come to God and say, God, you are my Father. I trust in your provision. I trust in your care. I trust in what you have given me. I trust that you are wise and powerful and you are good to me me and what you have given me is better than anything that the world can entice me with when the devil begins to tempt and to teach us lies and to try to convince us to step into sin there's a solution for that The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Who is this speaking of? It's speaking of Jesus Christ. It is speaking of the one who became flesh, who dwelt among man, who was willing to be tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. He died to destroy Lucifer, to destroy the lies of Satan, to destroy the power of the devil. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning, For this purpose, for this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, was shown, was exampled, was given to man that he might destroy what? The works of the devil. When Lucifer comes and begins to teach us lies and to get us to take and to be tempted with that lure before us, we can come to our savior and say, Jesus, you are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. I don't have to buy into the the, the, the devil's temptations that leads into a wrong way, that leads into death, that leads into a direction that does not further the cause of Christ, but hinders it. That does not further my relationship with God, but rather hinders it. We can come to Christ. You see, the answer lies with God. God says, when temptation comes, you can run to my Holy Spirit. You can run to me, your Father. You can run to the Savior. And when you run to your wonderful and precious God, God does something which Satan cannot do, and that is defeat that temptation, defeat that lure, push that aside, and truly we can see victory with Jesus see, our enemies are opposed. The flesh, the world, and Satan, they are opposed against an almighty, omnipotent God. They are not all-powerful. My flesh is not all-powerful. The world certainly is not all-powerful. If you have doubts about that today, all we have to do is see what has transpired over these last nine months. It has shown very quickly that we have no power here on this earth. God truly is the all-powerful one. Satan has been defeated and he will be defeated again and again. Our wonderful and holy God has all power and we can truly yield ourselves to him. We can run to Christ. I love what the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you for ye are not under the law, but under grace. I love that. God says, I'm there to help. I'm there to give you favor. I'm there to give you strength. I'm there to lift you up. Verse number 16, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether, there, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Paul said, don't yield yourself to the members of the uh, of wickedness. Don't bite that lure. Don't take that temptation that Satan is displaying. Trust in what God has offered. Run to him. James writes it this way in James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul taught a young pastor named Timothy as he would bring into him tem- or he would see temptation as a pastor that is why we say it is common to man it doesn't matter if it's the pope himself it doesn't matter if it's the one that's sitting in jail for uh, 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 uh for the most heinous crimes all of us all of us all of us face temptation there is no man past temptation and if he claims that he is above that if he claims that he is god and he is above temptation he is a liar and one not to be trusted the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6, verse number 10, as a young pastor, Paul teaches this man for the love of the money, me, for love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, notice this counsel, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, he reminded him in the second epistle, 2 Timothy two twenty two, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Just as Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 fled from before the temptation that was given to him to uh, commit immorality with Potiphar's wife, the Bible tells us that he fled, that he ran. The the great, uh, the great solution for temptation is quite simply to flee, to flee, to run away, to leave that temptation. You're not strong enough and all of your, of yourself to resist that temptation. We need to flee from that and run to God. We need to run to him, run to his Holy Spirit, run to God the Father, run to Jesus Christ. We need to run to him and ask him for his help, ask him for his mind, ask him for his heart, and follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and truly enjoy the fruits of the Spirit of God once again. Flee temptation flee run to God Paul reminds the Corinthian church in verse number 14 and we end wherefore my dearly beloved flee from idolatry flee from idolatry flee from idolatry Paul kind of comes back all the way Almost circular. He speaks of idolatry as he opens and gives an example. And then he comes back to it and says, Flee, run from it. This church in Corinth had a temptation that was common, idolatry was everywhere. It was what you would find at every shop. Is what you'd find all over the markets. It was idols, things, in which would be set up and worshipped. And Paul said, when it comes to temptation, and when that sin is before you, flee, run away, run to God. He is addressing something that is so common not only in their society but it is common here. It's so common in our society an idolaters heart. Can I give you a test this morning? Can I give you something that might help us to recall if there's some idolatry in our hearts? If a situation was to come, if a temptation was to come, where's our first response? Is it to run to that which the world provides? Is it to run to that, situ- that solution that we've seen so many others go to before? Is it to run to those things that are not of God? What's the first thing, the first instinct that we have when something goes wrong? Who do we follow first? Who do we run to first? Is it God? Or do we run to what is provided for? I ask myself this often. There are times where I look back and I think in shame, God, I should have went to you first. Why did I follow that instead? We need to remind ourselves that as Satan certainly will make temptation available to us and tempt us often, he will tempt you today. He will tempt you every day. Multiple times each day. And when we face those moments of temptation, God says, use my word. That's why it's so important that we meditate and we learn and we memorize the word of God. That's why it's so important that we know that we can run to God into his word. If you you can't remember the word of God, run to it and begin reading it and allow God to truly to help you resist that temptation. Run to the word of God. Flee temptation. Run to our great God. God makes a way out. And the answer is he. He is the answer. Resist temptation. And he, Satan, will flee. One of the largest freshwater turtles in the, uh, is the alligator snapping turtle. This turtle is found primarily in the southeastern part of the U.S., other parts of the world, but primarily there. These massive turtles have known to weigh as much as 250 pounds. They're carnivorous, And their diet, of course, is primarily fish. But because of their size, they will eat almost anything that they can find in the water, including even small alligators. That's how predatory these snapping turtles are. But the alligator snapping turtle relies on a uniquely deceitful method of luring fish. For his meal. You see, the turtle will lie completely still on the floor of the lake. Or a river. With its mouth wide open. And stick out its tongue. For at the end of its tongue is a small, pink, worm-shaped-like appendage. And the t- and the turtle, without moving any other part of his body, without moving his legs or his head, his mouth perched wide open begins to wiggle that small worm-like appendage on his tongue. A fish, thinking it's a worm, thinking it's a meal, comes and begins to go after that, what it thinks is a worm. But as the fish is about to bite that worm, or what he thinks is a worm, suddenly the, uh, uh, the alligator snapping turtle... Its head lunges forward, its mouth still outstretched open, its jaws close around that fish, and it is now trapped and is now a meal for that snapping turtle. You see, that snapping turtle's lure is often like temptation. It comes in the guise of something that is desirable but it always carries destruction with it in the end. If we could see the end rather than the tempting part, it would be far easier for us to resist. But Satan knows that. Satan knows that he, if he displayed the death and destruction that lies ahead, we want to go. So he cleverly disgu- d- disguises that temptation as something desirable and wanted. Would you this morning mm-hmm. heed the caution of a man who loved these people dearly? A pastor named Paul who wrote to a church in which he gave his heart and life to. So said, be careful. Caution. Temptation is common. But God makes a way of escape. Would you trust this morning? Would you trust in our God to make a way out? of the temptation. Trust Him. Flee temptation. Run to God.